Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm here in studio with my partner, Adam Hanson, and we are across the desk from Cody Beeson, who is our producer. Welcome, gentlemen. We want to jump right into it and get started about today's events. I mean, we, we obviously do estate planning, and we plan for the unexpected. There's nothing more unexpected um, that the world saw than the attacks on October 7th. Everybody's talking about it. On this show, I like to talk about the nuanced uh, issues that don't get covered in mainstream media. So one of those things, Adam and Cody, I want to bring up to you is what are we getting into? Uh, It seems like the war escalated very, very quickly. Um, Gaza has been razed to the ground. And now we're rooting out, or rather Israel is rooting out uh, Hamas at uh, every place that it's hiding and, and attempting to eradicate it. And America is standing in full support. Certainly, I believe that we should support Israel. But I also believe in calculated decisions at each step, especially in such areas of the world that are are so prone to spark a third world war. So are we going in too hot, too fast? Adam, what what, what are your thoughts on that? You brought up a point. This was a couple weeks ago. There was an an interview with 60 Minutes that Joe Biden did. And you brought this to my attention, Sean. It was really alarming the way that he answered a particular question. That interview, if you go back and you watch that, he really doesn't do a lot of talking. It was... uh, it was 60 minutes that does most of the talking for him. But the times that he does talk, I mean, he, it's really telling. And it gives me the impression that on its face or on our, on the face of the United States, we're coming out and publicly supporting Israel, but behind the scenes, I feel like they're giving instructions or they're doing actions to backpedal or to slow down any response from Israel. A good example of that was last Wednesday when, President Biden arrived in Israel. At first, he was scheduled to meet with all these Middle Eastern uh, countries and the heads of state, and they all canceled on him and uh, made him look a fool, you know, in front of the entire world, number one. Number two, he made it where President Netanyahu, or Prime Minister Netanyahu, had to focus on this visit from from the United States and not focus on what they're engaged in right now, which is getting into Gaza on, on the ground getting into these tunnels and rooting out Hamas. Right. I so mean, he's could you slowing imagine, down. Could you imagine, you know, President Roosevelt going to uh, Churchill on, on the eve of D-Day and saying, hey, can we have a sit-down chat? I'm a bit busy right now. Do you mind if we postpone it till next week? Well, I'm on my plane already. It's horrible timing. It's like it's like those family members that come into town unannounced and they drive into town. Hey, we're here, and now you got to host them. And it's like we really kind of don't want you here, but because you're yeah. family, we have to tolerate you, and we're ready for you to go already. Like we, it's not a fun visit. It's not a welcome visit, and that's how Biden is being perceived across the world. Just when imagine he's going all to the wisdom though that Biden could impart on Netanyahu about the Middle Eastern affairs. So getting back to the 60-minute interview, I'm going to play a clip from that interview. And, and Sean, you, this is pretty telling as to where we're at as a nation right now. 
And I believe it's just a false reality of, of propaganda that's being pushed on us. Just like this whole administration time period has been, it's, it's we as individuals, as Americans, we can see what's going on. Oh, there's not inflation. It's just a, you know, a contraction of, of the economy. Oh, it's not this, that. We, we can see it. We can see all these things that are happening to us, but yet the Biden administration has a way of spinning that as if it's, number one, our fault, and number two, it's not what we think we see it yeah. is. You're actually better off. You're better off. The gas prices aren't actually higher. Well, well they're twice as much, three times as much as I was paying. No, no, they're actually not. So we have to just take it for face value. So, and, and he has the same mentality when he goes about the position that America has in geopolitics today and, and it's the strength that the country has overall right now in its positioning. Just because you say something over and over again doesn't make it true. And it doesn't convince us as a populace that it's true. Those that are intelligent thinkers for themselves can see that this is a, a lie. It, it's, a, it's deceit. And so the question is, can we as the United States afford to be not only financially involved in a Ukraine war, which we've already piped billions of our tax dollars into. Why? I'm not quite sure. You know, I don't know. But uh, now the next thing comes, well, what about the billions that we gave to Iran? Oh, wait, well, we didn't actually give it to them, but in fact we did. But we have, we have strings attached to that, and they're never going to use it for anything else than what we told them to. Again, another lie. So we're funneling money it's, into it's in, Ukraine. It's in Qatar, and, and we can trust Qatar to do the right thing with So we money. got billions going to Ukraine. We've got billions going to Iraq or Iran. And now we're going to pump a ton of manpower and finances into this Palestine-Israel conflict. Can we do that on multiple fronts? As Iran gets into this even more as an actor, and they're going to pull in Lebanon and Hezbollah, from the north of Israel, they're going to pull in uh, Iraq, Syria, Libya, Syria, Jordan, even Saudi Arabia, which that makes me the nerv- most nervous is Saudi Arabia. What happens when Saudi Arabia gets involved? They're, they've been the most um, amable with us. Uh, what, what, what? Amable, like... Uh, you bit your tongue? What happened? Amable. What, <laughs> it's a is Spanish it, word. That's not a word. It's a Spanish word. Oh. It's like... Uh, Kind, like like yeah. tolerate. You know, you're kind to each other. Yeah, open ended. Yeah, to, to, like, to relations with with the, with the U.S. and why? Israeli because state. we pump a ton of money into them for their oil reserves. That's the, that's the U.S. What it is. But particularly with Israel, they were going to normalize relationships with Israel, which was going to be a huge thing that would open up this big trade and and commerce between the Muslim world and uh, the did you can I say Jews? Is that okay? Yeah, is that yeah that's okay. okay. To say? Okay, the the Jews. Yeah, in Israel. So, so Saudi Arabia has historically been the most kind and willing partner in agreements compared to the rest of the Arab world there that surrounds it. Uh, Egypt may be number two. So if we lose Saudi Arabia to this, this faction here where they're, they're jumping on board with Lebanon and Syria and the, the surrounding Arab world, now we're in trouble. Why? Because of the Biden administration's attack on oil. They shut everything down. Day one, when Biden came into office, he shut everything down that Trump did. That was his main motivation. Whether he knew what he was doing or not, whether he was just signing stuff, but through executive orders, he started shutting down pipelines and domestic oil production here in the United States. At that time, we were energy independent from everywhere else in the world. We were producing more and more oil for our own consumption and even exporting oil. 
which had never been done in the history of the United States. So we were completely self-reliant on energy. Now Biden shuts down the pipeline when he was elected, and he not only did he shut down the pipeline on our production, so now we have to rely on Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, actors in the world that hate us or don't have our best interest in mind. He also blew through all of our oil reserves. We have nothing left as a reserve. So if Saudi Arabia and Lebanon... 40-year low. We're at a 40-year low for reserves. But we're at a 40-year high for inflation. So at least we have a high on one end of it. He's doing something, right? And so if Lebanon... uh, These Arab world actors where we get most of our oil and supplies most of the world with oil, now they say, no, you're taking Israel's side... No more oil. We cut you off. And that, that is a reality that's probably going to happen any day now. Then now we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Biden will have to either open up the oil reserve, open up the oil drilling or pumping again here domestically, or we're going to really be hurt as the United States. So this, with that as the backdrop, now let's listen to what President Biden says in response to this question. Are the wars in Israel and Ukraine more than the United States can take on at the no, same time? We're the United States of America, for God's sake. The most powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. The history of the world. We can take care of both of these and still maintain our overall international defense. Russia. I love it because... We, we, we can take on both these wars and maintain our international defense, overall international event, defense. What about defending our own border? Should we start there? That, that might be a good way to, to start internationally in making sure that we are poised to defend our country against an invasion. But we're, we're not doing that. And I know that's kind of a rhetorical question, and it's a political issue whether or not the— uh, how many 10,000 people are crossing the border every day? That, that's a lot more than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Hundreds of thousands. Well, no, 10,000 a day. Here in Yuma, maybe. Okay, so a lot. And um, so we, we can take on these two wars. Number one, are we really in the war in Ukraine? Because I thought we weren't actually in this proxy war in Ukraine. But then, you know, the cat slipped out of the bag there. Yeah, we, we can maintain this war in Ukraine. Okay, we were just supporting Ukrainians fighting for their own independence and providing them with uh, loans. We weren't actually giving them aid. They, every time that's brought up, we don't have more money to print to give to Ukraine. They're saying, we're giving them loans. It's not like they're gonna, you know, getting free money. Well, I don't think that they're going to pay it back. I mean, the likelihood of the Ukraine paying that $40 billion back is probably less likely than a student paying off his loans. And um, so you got that, and we all know it is a proxy war with Russia. And then this war with Israel. Are we in the war, or are we just supporting Israel's right to defend itself against Hamas terrorist attacks, which are primarily situated in Palestinian states? And so that's, that's the question there. He says, undoubtedly, yes. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that our country is doing as well as is projected. I think that inflation is really going to hurt us. The housing market has already started to crash. Uh, We haven't seen at all the interest rates ease up a little bit because that's what drives 
market force for housing. I don't know anybody that can afford to buy a house now. It's three times more expensive to buy a house now than it was in 2021. Three times more expensive. And not, not only the price, not only the price tag, but the loan interest on that. You know. that, that That's what I mean, because most people buy homes with a mortgage. And so they're, lend, they're borrowing money from a bank. And it, it, in 2021, the, the interest rates were like 2%. 3%. Now they're 8% if you have good in, if you have if you have a very good um, credit score and even at that rate the housing the, the market itself the price on the houses have gone up double from what they were in 2021. So now the house is more expensive and then the interest rate on top of that is go, is the extra kicker. So that is going to be a huge impact on our economy, not to mention the inflation that's going on and the mass immigration that we're taking on for people that we have to support. The fact that we can't secure our southern border. We're building a wall now again that apparently doesn't work, but we're going to build it anyways and, and then do what with it? Are we going to actually enforce the wall? Or are we going to cut holes in it and just allow the caravans to continue to pass through? All this to say... We are not in a position to start poking the bear around the world and, and, and bringing on these fights. If I was Xi Jinping and I was on the fence of whether or not to invade Taiwan, maybe a year ago, two years ago, and saying, oh, we'll just time it right. See what goes on with this Russian-Ukraine invasion. See how strong a position the United States takes with that. See how the world reacts to it in general. And then look at his position now. If I was a Taiwanese, I'd be thinking the world has abandoned me because so much attention and so many resources have been diverted elsewhere that we can't come to their aid the way we would need to and to support not only the people and their independence in Taiwan, but the way of life for everybody that uses anything that's mechanical. These mics that we're talking on right now, your cell phones, any, your, the, the chips that go into your cars. The big holdup with COVID for producing more cars was the chips that was going into the computers for the cars that ran the cars. And China invades Taiwan. They hold all of the strings for the world economy. If, if, if we cut off China and put on sanctions on China or they are successful in crippling the chip manufacturing that occurs in Taiwan, our economy and the economies that are all linked to us come to a grinding halt. And that's a really scary thing to imagine. We've got to take a break. We'll be back after this. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. 
Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I've got uh, my my co-partner here. Does that sound right? No. It didn't sound right when it came out. Uh, attorney Sean Garner. Life, and we've got Life partner. <laughs> Stop it. And we got Cody Beeson running the board. He's our producer. He moved from sound tech to producer this week. Next week, you're going to be the king of, of Saudi Arabia. I'll take it. The queen of England. <laughs> we've got, we've got uh, seminars coming up at the end of this week, and that's what we want to make you aware of. If you haven't been to one of our seminars, you're missing out because we talk about the things that are most relevant to your family, meaning if something were to happen to you and uh, you either become incapacitated, which is a high reality, and uh, there's a high chance that that might happen before you pass away, you want to make sure that you have everything in order, uh, meaning do they know where your stuff is? Do they know what you have, they being your loved ones? And can they help legally? Can they get involved and, and make sure everything, the bills are still paid and everything's taken care of? And ultimately, when you pass away, where does it all go and how do you eliminate fighting? So we talk about that at these seminars. The first seminar is this coming Thursday, the 26th at 1030 a.m., at the Yuma Main Library in town. And then if you can't make it to that one, then come out to the Foothills Library the next day. That's the 27th. It's a Friday at 1030 as well. And um, come and hear what we have to say. One of my favorite things about doing these seminars is not so much the content that we give, and that's good too, but at the very end of it, we open it up for questions. And um, we love answering those questions because they're always really good. The crowd is always really lively and bring up really good questions that, that I think is valuable for everybody in the room to hear. So come and visit us if you haven't already, or if you want a refresher, you know, come and see us this, this end of the week, um, Thursday at the Yuma Main Library. And if you can't make it there, then the Foothills Library, both at 1030 in the morning at the libraries. Sean, you were going to talk about uh, this clip from Vivek Ramaswamy that you found, and he makes a really good point in this clip that why is it that we, we look around the world kind of as a police, we as the United States, Mm-hmm. And we determine, okay, this this war in Ukraine between Ukrainians and the Russians, that's somehow, uh, it's moral for us to get involved with the Ukrainians. This war over here with the Palestinians and the Israelis, it's a moral thing for us to get involved with the Israelis on this particular one. Why do we, and why on the broader, broader uh, subject, why is it that we say, well, when slavery... Ha- slavery was a horrible thing, and so we're going to be activists in, in the slavery world, but we don't say, well, we're, we're making a moral stance, and therefore I'm going to try and solve slavery that's happening still today. It's more, no, we want reparations, we want to be paid for that. So why is it that we pick and choose those things that we want to, I would say, virtue signal on as the as United States of America? Right. Vivek Ramaswamy has a broader vision. And what I like about his approach so much is that it's not 
so narrowly focused and he's, he doesn't have this tunnel vision that it feel like most of the politicians do. We have the actors in the world that we care about. We've got uh, the, right now Ukraine. Most people three years ago probably couldn't pick out Ukraine on, on the world map or globe. And uh, we, we focus on Russia quite a bit and we focus on our, our favorites. We focus on these countries in the Middle East. I'm a big supporter of Israel. I, I, I don't want to put it out there in any uncertain way that I don't support Israel. I do. But there are a lot of things going on in the world that we don't focus on whatsoever. And Vivek, he, he points this out and says, why are we so morally outraged when conflicts happen in certain areas of the world and willing to throw our full force and might behind them as well as you know, compromise our economic status within the United States and throughout the, the world economy for these particular conflicts because they're moral and ignore all the atrocities that are going around throughout the world? And why are we fighting among ourselves about this issue of slavery that occurred 150 years ago when there's slavery now in larger quantities than have ever existed in the history of the world that are happening now, particularly among the Uyghurs in China and, and, and genocide that's occurring as well. We talk about, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult moral question with the Israelis going into Gaza and flattening Gaza and that being called a genocide of sorts. They are not attempting, in my vision, to eliminate Palestinians, okay? They, they have nothing against Palestinians. They have nothing against Muslims. And if they do, it's not the reason that they're going into Gaza. They have something against terrorist organizations that are hiding behind Palestinian civilians, and they're going to against them. But Yet that is a conflict that we've put a lot of our time and energy into. What about the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians that are being slain and held captive and, and taken hostage in other parts of the world, like Armenia? And so I'm going to play this clip from uh, Vivek that, that blows us open, and it's this interview with Tucker Carlson on X. So let's listen to that. Armenia, Azerbaijan, what is happening? Yeah, so, I mean, what's happening is an atrocity. I mean, you have people who are Armenians, largely Christians, six-figure numbers, 100, 120,000, being driven back to their country from a region that has long been a place they have called home. A lot of atrocities that aren't even yet coming to light in Western media. But Azerbaijan has a lobby, a powerful lobby in Washington, D.C. And I think a big part of what's wrong in the United States today, Tucker, and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but it's why I'm coming in as an outsider to this nonsense, is you have a system that is bought and paid for, both for the people who run on the Democratic ticket, people who run on the Republican ticket, and people who make those decisions in Washington, D.C. that are effectively managed by, in this case, the Azerbaijan lobby that has a lid on discussing this conflict, which as you pointed out, most Americans haven't heard of, but you'll hear endlessly about Russia's incursion on Ukraine and having to stand on the right side. That's a separate point where I reject that 
Ukraine is inherently good anyway. But even if it were a selective moral outrage in that case, but not another one in just a neighboring area that interfaces with Russia as well. So open that Pandora's box around the world. I mean, look at much of Africa, look elsewhere. You're going to find ability to have selective moral outrage. But you only hear about it in certain selective cases that the media and the existing establishment in both parties deem fit for the American public. And, and, and I think that's absolutely true. We, we have these atrocities going on, and in particularly when they happen in poor countries or countries that don't have resources that we are interested in, we don't take an interest in the atrocities that are going on there. And uh, why is that? Well, because we can't be everywhere all the time. We can't be the police of the world. Can we stand up for good causes? Yes. Can we stand up for the cause of freedom? Absolutely. Should we? For sure. However, I think that you have to first make sure that your house is in order. And our house is not in order. We have people that are, are so far into this relative truth in America and also questioning whether or not the Constitution was a good document drafted by wise men and whether or not we should continue to support it or whether we should twist it and read between the lines and, and make it so it's something so unintelligible that rights that aren't clear, clearly are not included in it are now imposed upon all of the the public and rights that are not in it are taken away from us. Like, for example, let me just let me throw out a couple of examples. Of what I'm saying here: abortion. It's not in the Constitution. You may like it. You may want the ability to have it. You may call it something that it's totally not, like the freedom to reproduce, which in reality is is so contradictory. I don't even know how you 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 put those two together, the freedom to reproduce and abortion are somehow linked. Abortion is the freedom to kill your baby. Freedom to reproduce is the ability to have babies. So how are are those two linked? I don't know. Um, Anyway, that is not in the Constitution. That's just it. Period. End of story. It's not in the Constitution. The right to bear arms is in the Constitution. Okay, and now we have a lot of people around the country and in particular cities and, and, and states that are continuing to restrict Americans' ability to keep and bear arms. That, I think, if you want to change the Constitution, there have been means that were written in the Constitution to do that. Amendments. We've done it 27 times. There's no reason that we couldn't do it now, unless, of course, the majority of Americans don't agree with it, and the minority that wants to eliminate those rights don't want to go through the proper method to do it. And they know they don't have the votes. They know they don't have the popularity along with the concept. And so they want to do these backdoor deals to take away these freedoms. Why why is this so important? Because the Constitution has made this country what it is, one of the most successful countries in all of human history. And inspired the world right, to, to you know, uh, drop their kings and their rulers and to also pursue democracy. You got to remember, this is called the American experiment because this was never done before to throw off the rule and the tyranny of a king and 
replace it with a government run by the people. For thousands of years, from the majority of Earth's history, we have kings that are running the government, either kings or aristocracies, individuals that are taught in the education and, and the ability to govern populations. And the Americans said no. The colonists said no. We think that the individual people have the ability to make decisions for themselves, select representatives to represent their best interests, and let those representatives make laws that will protect their God-given rights. Now let's enumerate some of those God-given rights. One is the freedom to speak your mind. Another one is the freedom to practice your religion according to your own conscience. Another is the freedom to gather together among people, like-minded people, to discuss ideas and, and not be dispersed by the government. Another is to be free from searches by the government on your person or in your house or to be detained by the government. Another is to be... Uh, tried by a jury of your peers when you're being um, charged with a crime. I could go on and on. And they enumerated some of the first and most fundamental ones in the First Amendment, and that's speech, religion, and assembly. And then they backed it up, and then I think this is so important to understand the sequence in which these amendments were drafted. They backed it up with the Second Amendment. Because there are many constitutions that replicated our constitution around the world that also have the freedom of speech and also have the freedom of uh, against religious persecution. But they, what they don't have is the Second Amendment, and that is the ability of the people to keep and bear arms. And the purpose of that amendment wasn't to go deer hunting, okay, Joe Biden. It wasn't because we want to go out and have recreation target practice. It was to protect us from the government and the infringements that the governments tend to have on taking away those rights of speech, assembly, and religion. It makes governments think twice when the people who are supposed to be running the government are armed and ready to defend their rights from the government infringement. We've got to take a break. We'll be back. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. 
You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner in studio here with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We do estate planning. We help people get their affairs in order. We help people plan for um, the unexpected, a car accident, a stroke, a heart attack, a pandemic. Um, We also help people plan for the inevitable, such as death. And what we do is we help them organize all of their assets so they know what they have, they know where it is. We help them put it together in a binder so they can easily point to each of the accounts that they have, the titles to their vehicles, the deeds to any property that they have, and make sure that it's organized in a way that they know exactly where it is in case they need to make a transaction or they need to make a financial decision. And then furthermore, we make it available for their successors, whether it be um, a personal representative in a will. We typically like to lean towards a trust because it avoids probate. And so a trustee would be able to take that portfolio that we have assembled for our clients and identify all of the assets that are included in the estate. So none of it gets left on the table and turned over to the state. Those get consolidated and distributed to the beneficiaries very seamlessly with proper planning. We're doing a seminar this week, uh, Thursday on the 26th and Friday the 27th at 10.30 a.m. They're at the public libraries. The Thursday seminar is in town at the Yuma Main Library, and the Friday seminar is in the foothills. Just go to our website. You can RSVP. They do fill up, and so if you don't RSVP, you are not guaranteed a seat. Um, And that's how you can get your own affairs in order. And that segues into another clip that I want to bring in from Tucker Carlson. I don't agree with all of Tucker Carlson's points. I think he's fantastic at articulating his points. And I think that sometimes he admits that he's wrong. And what what I like so much about Tucker is he will admit that he's wrong from time to time. And he will say, well, now I've learned a bit more. And and he will add a bit more context to what he was thinking then and, and what his current opinion is now. What I do agree with him right now is that you have got to get your house in order first before you go out and solve the rest of the world's problems. And so I'm going to play another clip. This is a continuation of his interview with Vivek Ramaswamy, presidential candidate. Israel, and again, I I want to add my voice to that because I'm a human being. But the scale of the outrage among Republican presidential candidates was so much more intense. One of them took to a bullhorn and started yelling about it. I get it. But no one would think to do that about the 100,000 American young people murdered every year, and they are murdered, honestly, well, by give me, give me a synthetic opioids. That one, like, Chuck. what? I'll, yeah. take, I'll take my bullhorn for that one. So just to put some context on this, what he's describing is individuals in America that are dying from fentanyl overdoses. This is a synthesized drug that is... It was manufactured in China, Wuhan, of all places. And the ability to manufacture it has been now created in Mexico. So they don't even have to bring the drugs over from China to Mexico. They can manufacture it right in Mexico. And then the border is wide open to allow this drug to come across. And this drug might as well be a bomb because it is killing people, not in the 
thousands, not in the tens of thousands, in the hundreds of thousands. More people will die next year of fentanyl overdoses than all of the Vietnam War Americans. So let's continue this clip. And let's just go a little bit deeper on that one. This is the product of some intentional design. I mean, there are literally synthetic precursors to make synthetic fentanyl coming from Wuhan of all places to Mexican drug cartels south of our own border, pumping that up. And you want to just numbers to get the scale intact. 50 times the number of people who died on 9-11 are going to die this year as a consequence of fentanyl just crossing our southern border. A couple days ago, I was actually at our northern border in the northern part of New Hampshire. Totally wide open border. I mean, to call this porous is an overstatement. It's just an open border. And there was enough fentanyl that crossed just last year, 2022, to kill three plus million Americans. That was just the amount that was caught, let alone the amount that wasn't. My outrage is highest is our own vulnerability right here in the homeland. And I do not think that it is crass. I think it is the morally correct answer for leaders of nations to ask how they protect the interests of their nation. That comes with allies. And so I think that it is important not to create an equivalence between Hamas and Israel, as some on the American left and European left are trying to do. It is wrong what happened to Israel. And I call that out as a a human being and as somebody who's on a belief of some people are on the right side and the wrong side of a conflict. I think that that is far clearer here than it is, for example, in the Russia-Ukraine conflict or other areas where people have baked that cake. But the selective nature of ignoring certain other conflicts, while even more importantly, ignoring the interests of the U.S. right here at home, is what irritates the heck out of me out of the politicians in both parties. And it is shameful. And I think that there are, frankly, financial and corrupting influences that lead them exactly to speak the way they do. That's just the hard that is the hard truth, is what I cut him off saying. So I, I look at that, and, and I want to look at um, the different politicians' take on how to address these conflicts around the world. Um, you look at Nikki Haley, and she says, finish them. Be done with them. Okay, I think we need to step back and take a deep breath and make sure that we're not plunging headlong into World War III before we just finish them. Because we know from the past 30 years of experience with wars in Afghanistan and Iraq that a country cannot just go in to hostile territory where there are terrorists that are embanked in there and embedded in not only the the landscape but in the culture and just eradicate them. Not if you value innocent life. Not if you not if you value innocent life. And quite honestly, I don't remember where it's ever occurred. We saw that you, we we could go back to recent history in Afghanistan, right? We wanted to get rid of the Taliban. We wanted to get well. We wanted to get rid of Al Qaeda, and the Taliban and Al Qaeda are bed buddies. Okay, they're they're very close, and the Taliban, right, is the the, the governmental organization that fosters the terrorist organization of al-Qaeda. And so al-Qaeda, of course, crosses the borders in in Pakistan and in other countries as well. And al-Qaeda is a terrorist organization. The Taliban, they allow al-Qaeda to run rampant and to, to create terror 
in its own society and then manufacture that terror throughout the world. And so we tried as one of the most powerful, no, the most powerful military in the world to eradicate them for 20 years. How did that go? Well, we ended up funding them and arming them. Yeah, we left so. how many billion dollars of equipment over there in that botched evacuation from Afghanistan? We, we, we tried the same thing with Iraq. First of all, it was alleged that uh, terrorist organizations were being held and supported in Iraq, and so we needed to go into Iraq. And then it turned to weapons of mass destruction were held in Iraq. Now, it could have been that there were nuggets of truth in both of those, but by and large, there, we, we didn't find any weapons of mass destruction, so they either hid them very, very well or got rid of them, or they never existed. I guess those are the three options. The other thing is... Uh, we went in there and we toppled the government that was in Iraq at the time, you know, the, the reign of Saddam Hussein, who he apparently was holding democratic elections, but he got 99% of the vote. And the 1% that didn't vote for him ended up, uh, you know, hanging from some of the gallows. So, um, we, we toppled that regime and are we better off now for it? I think there are very few people that could point to specific indicators that say, yes, we're better off because of A, B, and C, because of the billions of dollars that we poured into this war in Iraq, than we would have been had we not done that. And I was in support back in the 2000s for that, and now I look back at it and I've, I learned something from it. And this is just during my lifetime. Let's look at Vietnam we have this overwhelming force in support of the South Vietnamese, and then you have China in support of the North Vietnamese. Well, the Vietnamese people, they were entrenched in what the North Vietnamese, what they wanted to do, and as much as we brought military might, they lived there. They were fighting for their homeland. They were fighting for what they thought was the best way of life. And I don't see how you can eradicate that. I don't even see that it's actually, I don't know that we have the moral high ground to eradicate that. I believe in democracy, but I also don't believe in imposing that ideology and that form of government on a country, on an independent state that doesn't openly accept that form of government. And it's clear that Iraq and um the, the tenants of the individuals in Iraq that had the ability to vote for the, the, the periods of time that we occupied Iraq, it didn't catch on. It, didn't, it wasn't flourishing the way that we thought it would, even though we sat back and we, we occupied Iraq for many years, and the same thing with Afghanistan. So what makes us think now that we can go into another territory of warring nations that have been at war from the dawn of time and institute peace, a form of government, a form of alliance that is going to be long-lasting, and do so while at the same time ignoring what's going on in our country with the thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of deaths that are resulting directly from an open border. This is nothing new. I mean, I I think about like when, when Matthew said it, Take the plank out of your eye before the speck out of your brother. Right. You know, and like, is that not exactly what we're looking at? Look at the problems that our country is facing and the people that that are living on the streets and like you said, coming over the border. 
yet we're we're preoccupied with wars around the world. Yeah, I, and I wish somebody would come up and just stay, say frankly what the solution was for some of these conflicts that we are we are diving headlong into. For example, okay, we're going to continue to arm Israel and potentially escalate this into a war that is going to go beyond anything we've ever seen before. What is our end game? What, where is the exit ramp? What options do we have for peace first? And, and, and that's what Vivek brings up. Now, do I believe Vivek is going to be a, a presidential candidate in the generals? No. I don't think that anybody can dismount Trump. Um, I'm going to go out there and say this. I'm not a particular fan of Trump. I think that we need to go a different direction. I think his policies were great, but I think he's such a divisive figure that there are individuals even on the right that won't vote for him. Not to speak of those who are in the middle and on the left. I don't think he's winning any new um, fans or um, supporters there because he's such a divisive personality. I think his politics are good. Uh, his, his, the way that he presents them is very, very divisive. And what a politician is, is an individual that can bring differing opinions together to move the country forward instead of just squashing one set of ideals and moving forward a separate set of ideals. I disagree with many of uh, people's political concepts, but I think that we can get along and we can operate together in this, in this country as long as we recognize and respect the differences between one another. So all this to say, I think Vivek would be a great presidential candidate. I don't think he will be it. He doesn't have the support and, and there's nobody that's going to get past Trump, but he has excellent points and he says clear solutions for every policy that he suggests. For example, he says, I don't think that us supporting Ukraine and perpetuating an eternal war between Ukraine and Russia is in our best interest. I don't, what, what, what is it doing? It's weakening Russia. It's providing Ukraine with just enough support to continue the human suffering there. And for what? It's for territory, right? That's, that's what it's all about. Russia thinks that, that the Donbass region should be their territory, that the Crimea, Crimea Peninsula should be their territory, and uh, Ukrainians don't, right? I think that we should say, Ukraine, you, you've had those established territories. We support you in the idea. But you know what? We can't. We can't direct the outcome of all things. And if we look at the bigger picture, if we push Russia and China closer together, who are hold the biggest nuclear arsenals combined, then we, we put ourselves in a very weak position in trying to protect the autonomy of Taiwan. And Taiwan really holds the keys for economic prosperity throughout the, the world, not even prosperity, but just survival. We can't survive without Taiwan and uh, the, the, the chips that are being produced there. We need to make sure that we hold back and have something in the reserves to protect our true interests. And so when Vivek says, number one, the first priority of an American president is to say, what is the Americans or what's in the best interest of Americans? And then calculate that with our response and support other states and allies 
in proportion to how we can actually have a good outcome and, and viable uh, solution in the end before we just throw in money and arms to continue the conflict. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Decent Garner & Hansen at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.